Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are you today? You excited to be here? So the other night, my wife and I were watching television, watching the news, and this lady comes on, this pundit or whatever, and she says, I'm going to play a recording for you, and I want you to, you know, see whether or not you can hear the word Yanny or Laurel. And, I'm, and I hadn't heard anything about it, you know, I just wasn't on social media that day or whatever, and so I look at my wife, I'm like, that's weird, and so sure enough, they play the recording, and it was like, okay, that's obvious, you know. I look at my wife like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen on the news before. Why is this even on the news? Like, so I'm like, I rewind it because you have the, the, the rewind button now, you know, it's been around for some time. And I'm like, and I'm trying to hear the other word that people are saying they're hearing, you know, and they're so confident that it's the other word, right? Like, and they're looking down on people, judging them and like some rewind, listen, rewind, listen. I'm looking at my wife saying, of course, it's, how could you get anything other than that? And so I just got, I just got to know, how many of you ended up in the, in the Yanny side of things? Okay, how many end up in the Laurel side of things? I'm, I'm just not quite sure what planet you guys are from. I just, I tried. I really, I was like, how do you get Laurel out of Yanny? I just, confused. That's not what my sermon is about today. <laughs> Nothing to do with that. And if you're watching from a different country today and it hasn't reached you yet, that's what we're dealing with in America. There you go. <laughs> Welcome to Emmanuel. If you're a first time guest with us here today, my name is Danny. So glad you're here. Thrilled you're here actually. And hopefully your experience thus far has been a good one. If you're watching online for the first time, thanks for tuning in. Second time guests, uh, regular attenders. Hey, what's up? Welcome back. So we're in the series called Encounters, and it's, it's, it's been a fun series so, so far. Has, has it been a blessing to you, those who've been coming the last couple of weeks? Good. What, what's incredible about the Bible is that we had all these stories of people that had encounters with Jesus, and, and what we've been saying is very simple, that every time someone encountered Jesus, they just walked away different, like something changed in them. There was this tra- it was this transformational moment. You know, they, they would, you know, experience grace, or, you know, they'd get clarity, or... Sometimes they'd walk away confused. If, you're, if you've ever read the New Testament, Jesus would say something and be like, what? <laughs> People would walk away from confused. One time he said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And people walked away, right? Of course, he didn't literally mean that. They thought he did and they thought he was crazy. And so they were confused. But Jesus never left people in the same condition. Sometimes they were excited. Sometimes they were angry. Sometimes they picked up stones and they wanted to kill him and Jesus would sneak away. You know, it's just like, he was just, he was this transformational character. And, and what we said we wanted to do in this series is look at a few of these encounters that Jesus had with different people and, and open up our hearts and say, God, do you want to produce the same change in me that you produce in these people? And so we looked at Matthew, we, we looked at Levi in week number one, this tax collector, this sinner was totally transformed and ended up writing the gospel of Matthew, became one of the first disciples of Jesus. Then last week we looked at the woman at the well. And she was thirsty. She had a soul thirst. And Jesus offered her something called, say it with me, living water. And so her life was totally changed. And she became one of the first evangelists in the New Testament. She went into town and she said, come and see the living water. He'll satisfy you as well. And many people believed in Jesus. And so that's kind of where we've been in this series. If you missed it, those talks, maybe you can go back on the podcast and check it out. Today, I want to talk to you about this third encounter that really is with two people. Jesus interacts with a Pharisee and a sinful lady, a sinful woman. But before we get into the story, I want to talk to you about, again, how Jesus changes people. He always starts with a thought. He always starts with an idea. He always starts with a perspective. He takes a sledgehammer to the old paradigm, the old idea, the old perspective, and he replaces 
that perspective with a new idea, a new paradigm, or a new truth about reality. And by the way, that is what repentance is. If you've ever heard the word repentance in church before, maybe you had a misunderstanding, maybe, maybe somebody said it when they were really angry with you, and said, repent, you know, something like that. But repentance really is, if you look at the word, it's just a change in thinking, it's a change in direction, it's, it's a change in thought. I used to think this way about myself, about God, about reality, and now I no longer think that way. I think some new way about God, about myself, and about reality, and I'm turning into that new way that I see things. That's what repentance is. And so Jesus was about producing repentance in people's lives. And so that's what my prayer is for you today and for me, that we would have some sort of repentance go on in our life. So the idea that Jesus is going to take a sledgehammer to and break up and apart and, and smash to pieces is that you can relate to him through religion. You can relate to God through religion. Now, what I mean by religion is a set of rules, maybe the Ten Commandments, maybe you made up your own set of rules of what it means to be a good Christian, maybe you're a Muslim, maybe, maybe you're from a different religion uh, or a different faith system. It, it, religion is this attempt to say, if I could keep this set of rules or regulations, then God will be okay with me. And we try to reach out to him or be in a relationship with him through the law or through religion or through obeying some set of code. Like, I'm going to go to church on the weekend. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to a small group. I'm going to avoid this. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this and this. And then maybe God will love me or accept me. That's what I mean by religion. And so that's the context. Uh, that's the idea that Jesus is kind of de- destroyed today. And, and so when we jump into this story, we're going to talk about Jesus interacting with a Pharisee and a sinful woman. So what happens in this story is that this this guy named Simon, who is a member of the Pharisees, invites Jesus to dinner. Let's look at Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, which by the way, it's interesting. People think that Jesus only ate with like sinful people and, and prostitutes and tax collectors. And he did that, but he would also eat with anybody who asked him to, okay? So, he, so this, this Pharisee asks Jesus to come to dinner, and he goes to his house, and he reclines at the table, and they're, they're, they're having dinner. Now, let me pause there real quick and explain to you exactly what a Pharisee is. Some of you know, some of you don't. A Pharisee back in those days was basically a part of the religious elite. There was a, there was a group of Pharisees they were, and Sadducees, similar group. They were basically a religious political party. They were in charge of interpreting the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. They were very conservative. And they, they basically were, if you wanted to get to God, you had to like follow the, the rule of the Pharisees and, and all that stuff. And so, that, so that's what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee is somebody that looks at the law and says the proper way to get to God is through obeying the law. And, and the law had expanded from the Ten Commandments to about 613 laws. Pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? Isn't that fun? It's not that, you know, Ten Commandments are hard enough and none of us can really obey those. Talk about 613 laws in, in, in the Mosaic laws. So that was, that was their approach. In fact, this, this frustrated Jesus at times because, again, that's not the proper way to relate to God. So he had some of his harshest words for these Pharisees because their paradigm was so off. One time he said, hey, you guys are like whitewash, which was a sort of a paint, kind of a thing that you painted on things to make it look nice and new and shiny. You guys are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look great, all prettied up, but on the inside, there's dead people's bones. Those are not friendly words. He would go on to say in the next verse, Matthew 23, verse 28, he said this, you, so you look great on the outside. 
You appear righteous to others. You're, you, you're, you're all dolled up, like you've obeyed all the rules. You follow all of the laws. So outwardly, you look righteous to others, but watch this. But within, you are, where it counts, in the soul, at the heart level, you are full of what? Hypocrisy and lawlessness. Those are, again, th- those, are, those are not words that you, that you say when you're trying to make friends with people. <laughs> Jesus had had his harshest words reserved for the Pharisees because of their approach to God and they were leading people astray. So here we are, Jesus is is at this meal and and let me explain the context here a little bit because it's hard to see it if if you can't understand the context. A Pharisee in those days had a lot of money and so they would have these homes In the center of the home, there was a courtyard with corridors out to the public. So the public could come in to the courtyard. And and on nice days, they would host meals outside when the weather was, you know, cooperating. And the public could come in. And this was especially true when there was a, a person of significance, like a rabbi, who was invited to one of these meals. And that scenario with the courtyard in the center of the house creates this opportunity for the second person to enter the scene. Watch what happens in verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a, say it with me, she's a sinner. She could have been a thief. She could have been a pocket picker. Most likely she was a prostitute. She was a sinner. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table at Simon's house, she does something crazy. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Watch this. Verse 38. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. And she started kissing his feet. And she anointed his feet with the oil, the perfume that she brought with her. Picture this. A bunch of Pharisees in this dinner. Jesus, this, this rabbi, this, this special person, and all of a sudden, this woman breaks in, comes off the street, and she is making a scene. She comes in, and, and, and she's broken, and she's weeping, and the tears are flowing so much that, that when she gets down, see, here, here's the deal, here's the deal with, back in those days, they didn't have tables like we have today. They would, they would lie on their sides, the men would, and they would eat on their elbows on a cushion. That's how they would eat their meals, but their feet were hanging out to the side, like maybe some of you watch television at night, I'm not sure. <laughs> And so the woman is behind Jesus' feet as he's reclining on his elbow on his side. And she's down like this. And she's weeping and she's crying. And she's so low to the ground that she can kiss his feet. And the tears are pouring off. And she's taking her hair. It's just, it's sort of disgusting if you think about it. (laughs) Because back in those days, there were no paved roads. The roads were dirt. And so here's Jesus' feet. He walked a lot, so they were kind of nasty. I mean, no offense, Jesus, sorry, but people get calluses and corns and toenails grow weird. And so she's down there. You want to see my feet? No, you don't want to see my feet. It's bad. She's down there. She's weeping. She's crying. She's taking her hair. She's making mud, folks. That's what's going on right here. And then to cover up the smell and everything, she takes her flask of ointment and she pours it on his feet to fill the, fragr- to fill the room with a better fragrance. Why is she doing this? Why is she 
demonstrating this raw emotion? Why is she making a scene? See, to, to better understand the situation, it was customary when a guest like Jesus would walk into a meal like this for the, for the guest to give them a kiss, to offer them water for their feet, and to, to give them some oil, anoint their head with oil or burn a little incense for a sweet smell. When Jesus walks into this meal, he gets none of those things from Simon. Why? Because Simon has not asked Jesus to come to dinner to honor him. Simon has asked Jesus to come to dinner so that he could perhaps catch him in some inconsistency. Simon is not a fan of Jesus. He's not a supporter of Jesus. He's a critic of Jesus. He had heard that Jesus was, had all these cool teachings and love your neighbor as yourself, and he was doing all these cool miracles like turning water into wine and these different types of things. And he didn't like Jesus' message. He was challenging the Pharisees. He was challenging the system. So, so Simon asked Jesus to come to dinner, not to honor him, not to support him, not to get behind him, but to disprove and discredit his ministry. How do we know that? Because he smacks him in the face when he walks through the door. It was a major insult. It's like, it's like you come into my house and I don't, I don't greet you. I don't ask for your coat. And I don't shake your hand. I mean, these are customary things that we do. Hey, welcome, come on in. How are you? Good to see you. Can I take your coat? Back then it was oil for the head. It was a, it was a kiss on the cheek. And it was water for your feet. And here's this woman giving him all three. The tears from her eyes are washing his feet. She's drying them with her hair. She's kissing his muddy feet. And she's anointing his feet with oil. How do we explain this? There's only one way. Apparently at some point, we don't know when, it's not recorded in scripture. Apparently this woman at some point had had an encounter with grace. At some point, this woman had stumbled across Jesus, maybe when he was teaching one day on the hillside or something like that, and he looked at her apparently and said, I know what kind of woman you are. I know what you've been doing. I know how you've been making a living, but even you can follow me. And now she's here to say what? She's here to say thank you. She's here to show her gratitude. She's here to express her love and she is making a scene. And Simon's watching it the whole time. He's looking at this deal and the Bible says, he says to himself, if this guy, listen, if this guy were a prophet, remember why he came to dinner. He was there to, Jesus was there to be discredited by Simon. And now he's got his reason. If this man were a prophet like everybody's saying that he is, he would have known what sort of woman this girl is who's touching him. She is a sinner. Remember in week one, if you were here, I talked about the paradigm that, oh, God and church, they're for good people. This is Simon's paradigm. You, that God is for the good people, the people who keep the law, the, keep, the people who come at, you know, at, at things from the religious perspective. They're really, really good at keeping the Ten Commandments. That's who God likes. This woman, no, 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 no. If, if Jesus were a man of God, if he were a prophet, if he were a rabbi, he would know that this woman is someone you don't allow to touch you. And here she is, she's crying and she's kissing and she's wiping and she's weeping. And Simon goes, see, he's not a prophet because God and sinners don't mix. In fact, the strict rabbis, when they went out in public, they would walk against the walls of the city so as not to come in contact with the common people. 
So Jesus hears. Whether Simon said it to himself in his head or whether he mumbled it outside. I mean, you know how sometimes you mumble stuff like, rawr, 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 but somebody overhears you? <laughs> maybe that's what happened or maybe Jesus read his thoughts. Either way, Jesus knew what he said. Watch what happens. Jesus says, hey, I got something to say to you, Simon. Simon says, okay, say it. Simon, listen up. I'll tell you a little story. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which is about 500 pieces of silver. One denarii is, one denarii is, is about a day's wage back at that, at that day for a day laborer. One owed him 500 pieces of silver and the other one 50. Simon, listen up. When neither of them could pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. I have a question for you, Simon. This story I'm telling you, Simon, is going to explain what's going on right now, and it's going to explain this woman's behavior. And Simon, it's going to explain your behavior towards me. Listen up, Simon. I have a question for you. Who will love the money lender more? Questions. Don't you love a good question? I love questions because they reveal value. When somebody asks a question, when I ask my children a question, did you do your homework? Did you clean your room? What, what, what am I really revealing? Did you, get your, did you get your shots up? Did you get your, right? Did you forgive that person? Did you, what am I revealing as a father? What, what am I revealing? What I what? What I value. Questions always reveal value, don't they? Great parents ask great questions. Great leaders ask great questions, and they use questions to communicate to their people, their children, what they value. Jesus says, Simon, I've got a question for you. Question. Going to reveal my values. Going to reveal to you how you to properly relate to me. Who loved the moneylender more? Now, when you look at this book in its totality and you read it, and I hope you do on a regular basis, you're going to see that the major theme of this book is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus would reveal it many, many times in Matthew 22. It's very simple. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In other words, with all of your faculties, here is my desire for you. I want you to love me. I want you to adore me. I want you to... I want you to care about me. I want you to think about me. I want you to long to be with me. That's why I made you. Simon, listen up. You've been relating to me through religion, and that's not, that wasn't my plan. See, in your notes, God desires your affection. I use the word affection instead of love because we say things today like, I love peanut butter and jelly, or I love cookies and cream ice cream. We don't love that stuff. We, we eat it right? We eat it. That's why I don't, I said, well, love is, love is way overused, but affection, oh, there's something there. It's like, oh, I have affection for you. It speaks more to relationship. Sometimes through the day, you know, or sometimes at nighttime, I'll, I'll just look at my wife and in a tender moment, I'll say, do you, do you love me? I just, I know she does, but, but I just want to hear it. Do you, and really what I'm asking her is, are you fond of me? Do you, do you want to be with me? Am I bothering you? I mean, are you still like, do you like me? You know, I just want to know. I just want to know. I want to know because I want her to want me. And then sometimes, sometimes in a tender moment, she'll, she'll say it to me. And I'll say, oh yeah, I'm crazy about you. I love you. And then of course I start to touch her and then she, that's not really what she wants, but... <laughs> 
let me show you how much I want you, you know, and it's affection. It's a, it's a, that's what we want in our marriage relationship. And that's what God wants from you. He wants to know, do, do you love me? Simon, Simon, who loved the money lender more? Communicating, you know how you relate to me, Simon? You've totally missed it. You've totally missed it. And you're a Pharisee. You're the guy who's leading people spiritually. You're the professional Christian. You've totally missed it. You're leading people astray. Simon, who loved the money lender more? One time a group of Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, you can read it when you get home, they came to Jesus and they were complaining, complaining. Here's what they said. Uh, Jesus, how come your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat? Fun conversation, right? Matthew 15, you can look it up. Why? Because they were rule followers and the law said that you're supposed to wash your hands before dinner. And they just didn't do it. They were rebels. Jesus had some interesting words for them. Matthew 15, verse 8. These people honor me with their lips. They talk a big game. But their, say it with me, their hearts. What does God care about? Does he care about you following all 613 laws and doing everything just so? I'm not down against the law. I love the law. In fact, I think when you love God with all your heart, the natural outflow is obedience. Why? Because you care for him and you don't want to be cross with him. I'm not down on the law. I'm not down on obedience. I'm I'm talking about the reason, the motivation behind the obedience. He says, these people's hearts, they're far from me. Translation, they have very little affection for me. And Simon's hearing this. He's hearing this. He's got the question in his mind. Don't sit on the Bible. (laughs) He answers verse 43. He says, reluctantly, he's kind of caught. The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. But Jesus knows he's not connecting the dots. So he pushes in, he pushes in. He says, Simon, that's the right answer, but this isn't a test about getting you know, the right answer. This is about whether or not the truth is penetrating your heart. So he says, look at the woman. Simon, look at this woman down here. He says, Simon, you can read it later in Luke, Luke, 47, uh, Luke chapter seven. He says, Simon, look at the woman. From the time I walked in, you didn't offer me any water for my feet. She's, she's, she's wet my feet with her tears and washed, wiped them with her hair. From the time I walked in, you didn't kiss me, from, but, but she's been kissing my feet incessantly. Simon, from the, when I walked in, you didn't offer me any ointment for my head, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Simon, pay attention. Listen up. Verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little, Simon, come on, this is where, this is your role in the story. This is who you are. Yes, I'm speaking about your heart. He who is forgiven little loves little. What is Jesus teaching here? He's not saying that this woman's love has produced her forgiveness. What he's saying, when you look at the, this, 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 this display of raw emotion and affection, it explains that she has received love, Simon. She has been forgiven much, so her love is just overflowing out of her heart. But with you, Simon, you have been forgiven very little. You don't even know how much you need me. You don't even know how deep your sins go. And because you're not aware of that, and because you haven't received forgiveness, you have very little affection for me. You've been relating to me 
and thinking that you're okay with me because you go to the temple every week and you do the Wednesday thing and you fast and you tithe and you do all the right things, but your heart, Simon, is far from me. Here's the secret. The secret to loving God is found in this woman's story. It's receiving his love. She had received abundant grace and love from God. Therefore, her love was overflowing. See, let me make this simple for you today. The idea that Jesus is taking a sledgehammer to and destroying is this idea that you can relate to God through religion. What he wants to communicate to you today is that the only way to relate to God is through relationship. He didn't create you to be a a robot that follows rules and laws because that's the right thing to do. He's not thrilled about that. What thrilled Jesus' heart in this story as he was reclining, eating a meal, was the woman's display, just this raw, out of place, disruptive, emotional affection for him. That is what he was welcoming. (laughs) We can only relate to God through relationship. And by the way, what is, what is the root of relationship? It's love. It's love. And, and who went first in this deal regards to love? Who initiated it? Who took the first step? Who moved towards who? If you forgot, listen up. Romans 8, Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his, say it with me, his, you could say affection, But God demonstrated, God displayed his affection for us while we had our backs turned on him, while we were sinners, while we were doing our own thing, Christ died for us. Who went first, folks? God did. He reached out towards you. He reached out towards me when we wanted nothing to do with him. Because he understands the the secret to loving, the only way we are going to have success in loving him is to first understand his love for us. Listen to the way one of the first disciples, John, said it in 1 John chapter 4. We love because he, what? First loved us. Our our love is a response to God's love. If you want to have affection for God, you have to understand his love for you and you have to receive it and live in it and bathe in it like this woman did. And when you do, your love is going to explode for him in some some form of raw emotion and dedication and commitment. Let me ask you a tough question today as we wrap up. Tough question. How much do you love them? On a scale of one to 10, how much do you love them? Come on. Why'd you come today? Come on. Did you come to do business with God? Did you come? Did you come today? Are you watching today? Because you know, you know you need to make some improvements. You know you need to, to change. You know you're not on the right course. You know you could go more in. You know you're not where you need to be. Come on, answer the question. How much do you love him on a scale of one to ten? Come on, is it a one to three? If it's a one to three, you might be on the path of the Pharisee. 
relating to God, thinking, well, I go to church on Sunday, and I do this, and I, I guess I'm okay. I mean, I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I, and I do this, and I do this. I guess God and I, we might be probably okay, but I don't really have a lot of affection for him. Like, I'm like longing to be with him, and, and longing to talk with him, and longing to just hang out with him. Watch out, watch out. You may be on the path of the Pharisee, and even the best of us can be on that path. I remember years ago when I was all in, man, man, when I just received Christ, I was at Liberty University, I was all about grace. I, God overwhelmed me not with church or religion, but with his love for me. And I remember I was on a, on a path of commitment and I wanted to go all in and I did go all in. And I started to do this and this and this and I discovered what good Christians do and I discovered what, what good Christians don't do and I started to do these things and I stopped to do the, doing these things and then what ended up happening is I slipped into Pharisee mode. And I started to look at all the, the Christians around me at Liberty University and I said, wait a second, you're not reading your Bible like I am. You're not going to midweek service like I am. You're not going to the weekend service like I am. You're not serving like I am. You're not doing these things. You're not going on weekend trips like I am. And you're still doing this and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't. And I'm not doing, what's wrong with you? And my judgment for people started to go up. And I noticed that my love for people and God started to go down. What was happening to me? I started off so well in grace and in love and I started to move into Pharisee mode. You know you've slipped into Pharisee mode when judgment for people's going up and love for people is going down. This is a dangerous place to be. How much do you love them? I hope you'd be able to say today, and my hope is from being able to say to you honestly, man, I'm, a, I'm like a, I'm a seven and I'm moving to eight. And man, I'm gonna be at nine and one day I will be at a 10. I'm gonna be like this woman, just, just adoring and loving and passionately pursuing God. That's what I would hope for every single one of you. How much do you love him? Think about it in your heart. The answer to that question really is, a matter of how you've been trying to relate to God, through religion or through relationship and love. My hope and my prayer is that you will begin to increase in your love for God as you begin to live loved by Him. That is the secret to loving God. He went first. Our love for Him is a response to His love for us. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus said this, this is eternal life. Not, not only what happens after you die, not only talking about the next life, sure, that's included, but the here and now. This is what I came to bring you, eternal life, and it starts in this moment that you know God. This is a prayer, that they would know you, Father. This word know I mean, it implies personal, intimate knowledge, like, like the, the knowledge between husband and wife. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You wanna know what you were created for? You were created for relationship. The root of relationship is love. And, and when it comes to love, he went first. If you are ever gonna have love for God, if I'm ever gonna have love for God, it's gonna be a response to his love for me. So how do you develop this? Best way I know how is to consider grace daily. 
think about the cost of grace daily. Contemplate the cross. The other day in, in John 19, I was just thinking through the crucifixion. It, it spells it out for you. Right before Jesus went to the cross, he was flogged. It just says it right there in John chapter 19. It says that, that Pilate flogged Jesus. You know what that means? It's just a little sentence. It means that they got Jesus down on his knees and they tied his hands on a log. Some of you have seen the Passion of the Christ. It's a gruesome scene. And two Roman guards would stand behind the prisoner and they would take a whip with, with a bunch of cords on the end. It was called a cat of nine tails. And, in, and on the ends of the whips were sewn in little pieces of rock, little pieces of glass, little pieces of stone. And they would whip the prisoner on both sides like this. And the whips would wrap around the side of the prisoner until the prisoner's entire back was bloodied and skinless. This was a flogging. This is what they did to Jesus. You want to know why they would do that to prisoners before they went to the cross? It's so that they would die quicker on the cross. The loss of blood, the absolute exhaustion. The prisoner, some prisoners would even die in the flogging before they would go to the cross. Jesus was flogged. They picked him up in Luke John chapter 19. They put his robes back on his back. Can you imagine? No skin on your back, all bloodied up. Now he's got his clothes on his back. They sewed together or they put together, weaved together a crown of thorns. They placed it on his head. They punched him in the face. They pulled out his beard. They spit on him. They hit him over the head with sticks. And then they brought him to the cross where he had nails put through his hands and through his feet. And he was crucified. You think about that. Why did he do all of that? Why did he go through the crucifixion? He did it so that you and I could experience relationship with him. Not so that we could join a church or, or, or relate to him through a set of rules and regulations or even the Ten Commandments. We don't need Jesus for any of that stuff. We could do all that without him. He said, no, but that's not how you relate to me. You relate to me through relationship. I've demonstrated my love for you that when you were sinful and sinners, I died on the cross for you. I went first to wash away all your sins to make a relationship possible. Some of you need to step into that today. Some of you've never, you think this is about church and you think you're good to go because you, you come occasionally or you do a little bit of this or that. You're not okay. You're okay when you say, Jesus, I wanna be in a relationship with you based on what you did on the cross. You died, three days later you rose again to wash away all my sin, the penalty of sin. You've canceled the debt for me and I trust you. That's how you step into relationship with God. Some of you need to do that right now. Some of you watching online need to do that right now. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I'm just gonna say a simple prayer. Take these words, make them your own words. Step into a relationship with Christ right, right now. Respond with love because of his love and trust him. Take these words, make them your own. Just say this to him right now. It's a prayer he loves to answer. Jesus, forgive me. It was my sin that put you on the cross. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. I give my life to you. Cleanse me. I trust you. I take my whole, my whole soul and I, I put it in your hands. Teach me now to follow to honor, 
to obey. Thank you for dying in my place. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we want to rejoice with you, don't we, church? Come on, guys. Nice and high. The Bible says when one person, when one person turns and repents, there's rejoicing in heaven. Hey, we want to put a gift in your hand if you prayed to receive Christ today. It's a one-year New Testament. Somebody was gracious enough to coach me on this when I put my faith in Christ. Man, his name was Byron. He's now in heaven. And he said to me, hey, if you take God's word into your heart and mind on a daily basis, I'm telling you what, you are going to become a different person. You're gonna become the man that God created to be. And I just, I took his advice and I started reading. And I wanna give you that same advice. I'm gonna take it a step further. We'll put, a, put one of these in your hands. They're in the back corners of the, of, of the auditorium. If you prayed to receive Christ online, just send us a little email there. There's a, there's a box where you can check to say I accepted Christ on the website there. And uh, we'll put your address. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. If you have questions about faith, there's a little, play, little environment we have called Starting Point. If you would like to, to join that, it's a short-term small group. You, you can talk about questions you have about the Bible, about Jesus, about anything really related to faith. And so if you want to uh, consider that as well, that'd be a fantastic environment for you. Now, here's what I'd like to do as we wrap up. Jesus gave us communion as a way to remember grace, as a way to remember the sacrifice that he performed on the cross. When we drink a little bit of juice, and a little piece of bread, we're remembering, we're reflecting upon the spilled blood of Jesus on the cross and the broken body of Jesus on the cross. That's why he gave it to us, so that we can have these moments of time where we, we remember and maybe even recommit to our love and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he gave us this ordinance called communion. And if you are a Christ follower today, if you say Jesus is my savior, you don't have to be a perfect Christ follower. In fact, nobody's perfect in the room, okay? So if you're, th you're thinking this is for the good Christians and nobody can drink, okay? Because we're all screwed up. So, but if you have faith in Christ and Jesus is your savior, we want to invite you to receive communion with us. And so in this next moment, we have got a song for you and the buckets are gonna be passed. And uh, when you feel led to partake, you partake and then our local teams will come up and close us.
Our devotion for 